Good morning and welcome to Driving Theology. This is Mike. And let me get the uh, car all set up here. Okay, here we go. Yeah, this thing. Sorry, boys. Much better. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Welcome to Driving Theology. We are uh, in toward the end of April. I think today is April the twenty eighth. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, tomorrow starts a one week long. Uh, spring vacation for all of Japan, uh, at least those who observe the national holidays, uh, called Golden Week. And usually, uh, Golden Week has a, a uh, you know, several days of just excellent weather. Problem is, I think all of the excellent weather came last week, and it looks like we're going to have rain this week. Um, but, you know, we can't hit them all perfect, I suppose. Uh, so, yeah, um, that's where we are here in Japan, the, uh, the cherry blossom trees have all, uh, shed their flowers and now have, uh, green leaves of some kind. Actually, I'm seeing a few of the cherry blossoms in the hills that still have flowers on them, which is late. Uh, yeah, so we're solidly in spring now, and uh, weather's been great. Been doing some mountain biking, me and my friends, which has been a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, as usual, I'm on the way to work. On the way to work. Let's see, I'm not sure. a little too loudly, I'm not sure. Anyway, um, <clears throat> Eclipse, I suppose it'll tell me. I have no idea what to talk about this week. So since I've seen you guys last, uh, a few things have happened. Uh, one is that a, a, a cousin of mine uh, died of uh, complications from COVID-19. I didn't know him well. In fact, I can't. I don't have any memory of actually having met him, although I know I must have. Uh, <clears throat> but he was like 10 years older than me. And uh, I'd say 5 to 10 years older than all of his siblings. So he was kind of off doing stuff. Um, more or less... Uh, when I would have been at their house, uh, or they would have been at our house, he would have been probably engaged in other things. He was he was always the oldest cousin, by far the oldest cousin um, in our group. So anyway, he uh, unfortunately passed away. Uh, he uh, had been sick with other things for the last ten years, and then he contracted COVID nineteen. On top of that. And uh, that was pretty much all she wrote. I think he he survived COVID-19, but then got the pneumonia that comes after it and other complications. And 
I think he was, sorry, I've got some things rattling and trying to stop. I think he was pretty much done um, before COVID-19 happened, uh, ready to just be pain-free. And so once he contracted this virus, then uh, he just let it take its course, I think. He leaves behind some kids and grandkids and course his uh his parents my aunt and uncle his siblings um but yeah so his name was rich richard roper um yeah that's one thing that happened this week um not really a whole lot of other stuff's happening like we're we're still trying to figure out how life works in uh, this uh, pandemic world. Japan's way behind on getting the vaccine uh, compared to other countries. Um, and so we don't even have a date where we'll be able to get the vaccine yet. As far as I know, it could be as, as far off as 2022. Uh, and we are kind of in a third or maybe fourth wave of COVID-19 right now, seeing some more precautions and and shutdowns, uh, things are happening, and, and it seems to me that because of what we are going through this year, I don't see life going back to normal, right? I don't see that as, as something that realistically is going to happen. Um, I, think, I think this pandemic has been something that is so impactful that it has changed who we are uh, and and how we do life. Um, that seems to be fairly certain. Um, we will diverge from whatever course we would have been on uh, and and go down a new a new path. Right? Um, yeah, that that seems to me to be the case. Uh, and how we look at germs and, and social distance and being in big groups of people uh, and all of these uh, kinds of things. It seems like maybe we'll start taking more and more precautions. Uh, and health-wise, that may be a better thing if we're talking about just illness. I'm not sure... Uh, sociologically speaking or psychologically speaking it's necessarily going to be a better a better thing for us of course I'm not a sociologist nor a psychologist so how would I know but it's just a guess um, yeah man so just not much is going on at all theologically speaking um I did have a conversation with some people on Facebook um, a couple days ago that I finally had to kind of let let go. Um, I don't think I lost interest as much as just um, maybe not wanting to put in the effort for very little return. So anyway, what happened was it was on uh, Facebook a an old uh, college classmate of mine uh, in the music department. She 
she posted uh, something from Genesis where uh, it talked about, you know, the flood happened because God regretted having made mankind. The flood happened because God regretted having made mankind. Okay. Uh, and then she put on this little tag. She said, how do you think he feels today? As if, man, he must really regret it today because we're horrible. Right? People are just so bad. <laughs> and... And, you know, there's a lot I'm willing to kind of let slide. Um, but this was kind of surprising coming from her. I never, I had never seen anything so, you know, fire and brimstone come from her before. And so I was kind of shocked at what she was saying. Um, I really didn't want it to be coming from her. That, that kind of... I don't know, it left a bad taste in my mouth. And so I, you know, I, I just said very, very um, shortly, I don't think he regretted it then, and I don't think he regrets us now. Right? I don't believe, I don't believe that he regretted having made us ever. Because he made us, he says, you know, we were good, right? Whatever he made was good. Um, it was good. So, she's like, so you don't believe the Bible. And so I, you know, I just, I, I had recently been talking to my daughter who's taking some classes. And we were going through all of the literary devices uh, that are used in scripture. And of course, nobody agrees on all of these, but it's quite an extensive list. If you if you look at the list and the the nuances between different types of metaphor, for example, and simile, uh, not to mention uh, lots of other stuff, uh, there there is a lot uh, to to chew on. Many kinds of literary device uh, have been used. In scripture and one of them is uh, anthropomorphizing or an anthropomorphism and I've used this word a lot I love it because I I've, you know realizing that it's just something that humans do uh, it's kind of in our nature but but it, it can also be a literary device right something that helps us understand uh, something more deeply um, so I believe that that scripture is a anthropomorphism used as a literary device. When it says that God regretted having made man, the writer, uh, the writer, I say the writer, uh, we don't know who the author was of Genesis, right? Uh, tradition in some places says it was Moses, but most likely, um, because we don't have the earliest manuscripts, these are things that were passed down for generations, maybe a thousand years or more, uh, orally. There were traditions that were passed down to us. Uh, and so, when, when whoever 
decided to write it this way, uh, probably um, we're getting these words from an existing oral tradition. And oral traditions are famous for uh, packaging the information in such a way to make it memorable, right? And sometimes in such a way to make it understandable to children, right? And I think, I think what we get in Genesis a lot uh, are, not that there isn't truth there, there is truth there, but we're getting these oral traditions that were passed down through generations uh, and in, to make them more memorable and easy to, re, easy to retell, right? Um, we use things like anthropomorphisms, metaphors, uh, I forgot what the word is for changing something's name to make it tell part of the story, right? Or to, to have a characteristic of one of the characters. Um, so, yeah, uh, when the book says he regretted having made us, this is a humans looking at God from a human perspective, uh, and we only have a human perspective, and then trying to think, well, you know, what, what does that mean? You know, how, why would God destroy the earth? Well, he must have regretted having made us. Okay. Now, not even to say that I don't, I don't necessarily believe that God was the force behind the destruction of the earth that may or may not have happened during the flood. That's a whole other ball of wax. Okay. Um, but there are people out there that will not hear of anything other than their own perspective on Scripture. Scripture is untouchable to them. They have put it in such a place, on such a high pedestal, that to even suggest um, that there may be another way of reading or understanding Scripture is paramount to blasphemy, right? It's the same as blasphemy. And what this does is it, it, it shows that these people have um, made a god out of Scripture, right? They, they've made an idol out of uh, paper and ink. Uh, and I decided to try you know, in a nice way to kind of expose this, um, this didn't go down well. Anyway, we went back and forth a couple times on this topic, uh, and, you know, I was accused of using big words, uh, and I was even accused of having a PhD, which I don't have, uh, and trying to confuse people and thinking that because I've read more books or understand things more deeply that somehow... Uh, I'm purposely making scripture more complex than it needs to be. Now, I will say that there are parts of scripture that I think are um, very simple and easy, easily understandable. Right? There are parts of scripture that are easy to understand. Uh, but I will say that Genesis is not one of them. Not that there isn't some things. There, there, there aren't some things in the first five books that are very understandable, but in general, uh, we need to look at 
these ancient books critically uh, and be careful of the hermeneutic we use and never be too certain that the hermeneutic we land on is the correct one, right? Um, there are many way, ways to interpret uh, those early books uh, and all of them uh, probably will bring forth some kind of truth from the books. Um, but to look at them at face value, uh, first of all, I believe is impossible uh, because we're just too far removed from the cultures uh, from which they came. Um, but also, what, what gives us the... What is the reasoning behind thinking that Scripture must be simple? Like what, you know, why wouldn't we need to study and to look deeply and to take apart and to think and to contemplate uh, and to wrestle, right? To wrestle with Scripture as the, as the uh, Jews used to think of Scripture, right? It was something to be wrestled with. So, yeah, I uh, got into it a little bit. So, I think I'll try to maybe uh, expand on this just a little bit, this idea of uh, anthropomorphizing God in Scripture. And I will say, first of all, I think it's impossible not to. I think uh, the only way we could not anthropomorphize uh, God is to, is to neglect to write about it at all. Um, but to say that God, God, the reason I don't believe that God, um, what is the word, regretted having made mankind is because I do believe in some, in some sense that God is all-powerful and all-knowing. Okay. So if you're just all-knowing, then perhaps you can't stop things from happening in the future uh, that you know are going to happen. If you just have knowledge but no power, uh, then maybe you just know things are going to happen but you don't have the wherewithal to stop it or to change the course. But if we believe that God is not only all-knowing but all-powerful, uh, then God knowing before he made mankind that they would become very sinful and having the power to do something about that, uh, why, why would he regret it? I, I think that knowing that something is going to take a course before you even make it and making it anyway, that's not, that's not, that's design. In other words, he must have designed... If, if he made us, if he made the world, if he made us, and he knew the course we would take, then he designed us to take that course. Think about this. Think about it. Because if he had all power, he could have, he could have made us take any course he wanted, Right? Any course at all would have been possible. But the fact that he did not exercise in his power in changing the course of mankind before, uh, before the fact 
means that he designed us indeed to take that course. And if he in, if he designed us to take that course, why would he re regret it? And what does regret even mean for a God? Now we know what it means for mankind to have regret, right? That's when we do something that turns out negative either for us or others uh, and we wish we would have made another choice, right? That's regret. We wish we would have known more at the time uh, so that we could have made another choice. So are you telling me that somehow God wishes that he would have had more information that had he have known the direction that mankind would have taken, he would have created us differently? It's nonsense. It's nonsense. God created us to take the very course that we took. Or he's not all-powerful. Now we have, a, we have a, a lot of other things at play in this as well, right? We also have something called uh, all good, that God is good. Is there even an omni word for that? Omnibenevolent, perhaps? Uh, that God does not have the ability to do bad things, to sin, right? God is not able to sin. So he is omnibenevolent or or uh, or all righteous or all good. So therefore, everything by definition that God does is good. He cannot do bad. Okay. The other thing we have is omnipresence. That God is God is everywhere. He is He is He is ever present in His world. Which I will say, uh, a lot of uh, evangelicals don't believe, even though they say they do, because they believe God cannot exist where sin is. They believe somehow that if your uh, life is full of sin, that the Holy Spirit refuses to dwell in you, which is ridiculous if God is omnipresent. Okay. So, the other thing is about these omni-words is that they're incredibly difficult to understand from the perspective of, of uh, the human life, right? Because we are none of those things. We are not all-powerful. We are not all-knowing. Uh, we are not uh, all present, right? We can't be present everywhere at the same time. Uh, and we're not all good, right? We're not, we are not completely um, righteous people. So whatever the, these words mean to God, uh, only God knows. Okay. So this is really complex. I don't think it's possible for God to regret anything. God doesn't regret anything. So anytime the Bible talks about a negative emotion with God, he's sad he did this, or he regrets he did that, or his wrath is this, and he's angry about this or that, it's all anthropomorphisms assuming that God is like us, right? It's making God in our own image, which is just the opposite of what I'm doing or trying to do, and that is say that God is outside human um, experience, right? He's other than human experience. He, he experiences things in ways that we don't quite understand yet. Maybe we will someday. Uh, but we have to be very, very 
um, careful when we take something at face value um, that looks like the way we would react in such a term, in such a way, right? Um, if, if, the, if the Bible says God was, uh, God was surprised or God changed his mind uh, or God did this or God did that or God felt this or God felt that, um, whatever he felt and whatever he did, only he knows truly. And we are observing from a uh, finite perspective um, and a cultural perspective and a sometimes a gender perspective and there's so many different hermeneutics through which we observe what the divine does in the world that once we write it down to assume that it's it's so perfect that somebody could just look at it at face value and know exactly what um, is going on with God is just ridiculous it's ridiculous we need nuance and we need grace uh, and we need humility to look at scripture uh, so no I don't think God regretted having made mankind I think it was all part of his plan the direction uh, the direction that man has taken uh, he is taking taking in stride knowing that this is the direction that we would take knowing human nature better than we know human nature And in partnering with man uh, through all of our missteps and mishaps, uh, he will bring about a greater world, a more perfect world uh, than we have ever known. And he's been doing that, right? This is something that he's been doing slowly. And this is why he's not, he doesn't get upset every time we, we make a misstep or sin or do anything because he foresew it he for foresew it is that even a word he foreknew it for sure he knew it was going to happen uh, and he's already taken steps uh, to make sure that mankind arrives at the right place at the right time right he's 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 working behind the scenes he's he's uh, he doesn't sleep you know, he's, he's confident in his ability to bring us along with him. Um, and so, yeah, regretting having made mankind uh, was written in the Bible. That's how people understood it. But that doesn't mean we have to understand it that way because we have Jesus. We have, we have the, the best hermeneutic ever to under, understand Scripture. And that makes no sense. Not only is God not a God who would kill mankind because he regretted making them, just the opposite. He's the God who will die himself to prove to man how much he loves them. This is an opposite of who God is. I said it. I said it. That God is the true God, the God who is re re revealed to us in Jesus, turns out to be the opposite God who is written about in Genesis. And why would we, why, why would we be surprised about that?
No, he didn't kill hundreds of thousands, if millions of people, and save only eight. That didn't happen. I'm not saying a lot of people didn't die. I'm not saying there wasn't a flood. I don't know. What I'm saying is that was a way that people looked at God thousands of years ago, which was from our perspective, and we saw it honestly, but we were mistaken. We were wrong about who God was. And Jesus comes and he corrects that. He shows up and says, I want to be with you, sinners, tax collectors, soldiers, prostitutes, sick, the outcast, the discriminated against. You are the people I've come to be with. I want to be with you. Through you will I build my kingdom. This is the, the story of the feast where the, where the man prepares a great feast and sends people out to invite all of his neighbors and family and nobody comes and he's like, all right, whatever. Go out and get anybody. Go out and get the, you know, go and get the, uh, the homeless and the poor. Bring them in because the table's ready. You know, this is, this is the God we serve. This is the God that Jesus is revealing to us, right? Um, the parables uh, can be can be difficult to understand, right? There are different ones that, that we've been programmed to look at a certain way that may not be the way that people in the first century looked at it. Um, and understood them and and therefore understood who God is right uh, there are different ways to read the parables to understand who God is um, but basically the, the tool that we all need to understand uh, the Judeo-Christian scriptures better is humility uh, and openness right? Openness to hear God say something different in the scriptures. It makes no sense that in one instance, God is the kind of God who kills everybody who displeases him. And then in another instance is a God who who willingly goes to death convince everybody how pleased he is in them. I don't see how that jives. <clears throat> uh, but excuse me. But I think we've been mistaken about that for a long time. We've been confused for a long time about how that's worked. Uh, yeah, so I think, um, I think that's my main point, uh, that there is a progression of theology recorded in the Old Testament, and that the New Testament is the last word on good theology, and good theology is not found in Scripture, it's found in the person of Jesus Christ, 
and it and scripture continues to point to that to point to Jesus <clears throat> but it doesn't need to perfectly point us to Jesus to perfectly point us to Jesus it does not need to be perfect it does not need to contain perfect theology it does not need to contain perfect perspectives on God I think it's more divine than the fact that it does perfectly point us to Jesus while not being a perfect book and how could it be a perfect book even a perfect book is going to be read from different perspectives I think it's a great book I think it's probably a miraculously compiled book doesn't mean it's perfect Man, I can't stop yawning. I'm in trouble this morning. Um, yeah, so I'd like your uh, your opinions on on uh, literary devices and things used in Scripture, and whether or not you've considered those things. And I think this is a you know a way to, to read Scripture from a uh, what is it called? Um, literary point of view, right? As a compilation of different genres and authors uh, and perspectives uh, and the authors used different types of uh, literary devices to convey uh, the truth that they saw fit. Of course, I've talked about this before, but, you know, the, the other thing is, is that somehow in our post enlightenment mind enlightenment enlightenment mindset we've come to view myth as untrue whereas actually from a literary point of view myth is more true than anything else uh, myth is is true because it's a dense um, packaging of truths so that it, they would be more memorable, right? And so we find truths, we package it in a myth, and that's why we remember them to this day. So in, in a huge sense, myth, myths are more true. And so even if I were to say that I believe that Genesis uh, is mostly myth, it's not to say that it's not true. It's just to say that it was packaged in a way to, to preserve the truth. Yeah. And I think I'm going to leave it right there. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, I hope this was interesting for you. And have a great day. Bye-bye.